Imagine with me, if you can, uh, if tomorrow, Monday tomorrow, the coronavirus was gone. Okay. Just imagine what it would be like, let's say by, I don't know, mid-morning, you're, there's reports that people are literally leaving the hospital, okay? The, you know, thousands of people across the country that are in the hospital, they don't need it, they're off the ventilators, it's just miraculous, they're going home. By late afternoon, there are reports, you know, on social media, the news, whatever, of people having reunions with their um, relatives, their parents, their grandparents, their aunts, their uncles, their brothers, whoever, who have been in these, but let's say nursing homes or, or, or facilities like that, that they have not been able to see for, you know, 100 days, whatever it's been. And then by the end of the day, you know, by the time the sun is setting, there are reports, you know, you see them on uh, various platforms of people at restaurants outside, you know, from New York to San Francisco, people just absolutely in a state of, you know, uh, you know surprise and having fun and, you know, really making uh, the most of this amazing moment that overnight this virus that came out of nowhere was gone. Now, if you can imagine that feeling, just with me for a minute, since we're in this, so we can, we can perhaps imagine what that would feel like, you would, you would have a sense of the emotion that really underlies the passage of scripture that we're going to look at this morning, the 126th Psalm. So you have a copy of the Bible, you can open it up or turn it on to Psalm 126, it's a psalm at the end of our psalm series and a message titled, A Prayer for Renewal. Psalm 126, A Prayer for Renewal. Listen to these uh, words that I, uh, as I read them this morning. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seeds to sow will return with songs of joy carrying sheaves with them. Now, what's obviously happening in these verses, the first four verses in particular, the first three verses, is they're recounting some kind of past deliverance. Something has happened. We don't know exactly what it is, but these, 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 these Israelites, these Jews are sitting around and they're going back into some memory. But here's what we know. We don't know what it is. Many scholars think, many you know, people have thought about this over, the, over thousands of years, think that what they're talking about, the memory that they're reliving here, is the memory of the return from exile over after 70 years. If you know the story of the end of the Old Testament, the people of God went into exile, into Babylon, but after 70 years, Ezra, Nehemiah, if you know that, that part of your Old Testament, a king, a, a, a non-Jewish king, a, a, a Persian king, Cyrus, God uses this man to say, listen, Jews, you've been out of the promised land for 70 years, but God has called me to call you. You can all come back now. Not only can you come back to your homeland, the, the, the city of Jerusalem, the nation of Israel, but we're going to give you money and supplies. We're going pro to provide you protection on this highway back so that you can go back. That's what many people think because it says in the end of the psalm, verse 6, those who go out weeping, which is what they did 70 years earlier in this story anyway, will return 
with songs of joy carrying sheaves with them. Now, we don't know if that's the case, but it could be the case. But here's what we know. Whatever was the situation that's being celebrated in this dramatic memory, our, our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy, it was miraculous and it was widely talked about. How do I know that? Then it was said among the nations, verse 4, the Lord has done great things for them. Whatever it was that happened, whatever deliverance happened, whatever great miracle, you might say, that took place, it, was so, it wasn't some small thing, you know, like you, you, know, you, you got a check in the mail or you, know, you got a, a private word from your doctor. Okay, It wasn't that kind of small thing. This was such a big deal. It says the Nations, it was said among the nations, the other people that surrounded Israel, when this happened, God, your God, has done something great. It was that big of a deal. But here's the point God had done something seemingly impossible and seemingly so unexpected, right? This is the idea. Back to my idea about the coronavirus. So unexpected says, that our mouths were filled with laughter. The first thing that, 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 that happened when this nation had this experience that's being recounted, it was so, first of all, seemingly impossible, right? Think about even if this was about the return of the exiles. Think about how dramatic that was, if you can remember that history. The people of God, they weren't just taken away like for a weekend. They were carted off to another nation the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, they didn't just, you know, put a lock and key around everything and make it quiet. They burned the temple to the ground. They burned many of the palaces to the ground. They repopulated with people from other nations. In other words, there was no sense whatsoever if you were one of these Jews who went off with Ezra and Nehemiah to, Bet to Babylon, you never dreamed that you would be getting your going back home, okay? That's what they're saying. Their mouths were filled with laughter. Their, their tongues were filled with joy. It was seemingly impossible and totally and completely unexpected. But here's the first point. What I think this writer is trying to say, the first and all important question of renewal, okay? Renewal. Lord, do for us what you've done for others. Restore our fortunes, right? Verse four. Whether it's personal renewal, your life, my life, whether it's corporate renewal, the life of the church, whether it's something even broader, right? Renewal, right? The people of God. The first and most important question is this. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Okay? Now, why do I say that? Because the way this passage is written, right? Whatever it was that happened, it doesn't say anything about what the people of God did, right? It doesn't say, well, we repented. We got our act together. We decided that we were going to, you know, right the wrongs in our life. And those are all important messages in the Bible. But in this case, the only thing that's mentioned is this. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, verse one, then verse two, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. It's all about what God has done and it seemingly was, you know, ipso facto, you know, um, out of nowhere. In fact, the first image, there's two images shared in this passage. Just look at verse four. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like, it's a simile, the streams in the Negev. Now, what does that mean? It's poetry, but it's, it's, it's powerful imagery, but it's saying something very specific. The Negev is a part of southern Israel. If you were in Israel today, it's still true today. Um, a great deal of Israel, the southern part of Israel, is a desert. 
I mean, a complete and total desert. Those of you who may have been there down near the Dead Sea, if you've ever been to Israel, or if you've even been to Masada, some of you have. I was there a few years ago in that part of southern Israel. Let me tell you something. It's for far as the eye can see, it's nothing but brown dirt and that kind of hazy look of intense heat. There's nothing there. It's all desert. In the Negev, this part of Israel, it gets maybe a handful of inches of rain in an entire year. That's always been true. It's still true today. But what happens, what he's making reference to is every so often, maybe once or twice a year, they have a flash flood. They just, almost like the one we had, right? If you were like me, maybe two, three weeks ago, Jim, was it two, three weeks ago, we had this flash flood. And all of a sudden, when they have those flash floods, this arid desert, overnight, the river beds are filled with water and overnight, there are these flowers in this grass that appears over in 24 hours. That's what he's saying, right? They're saying, listen, the Lord has done great things for them. They're recalling this great memory. The Lord has done great things, or we hope he'll do great things for us. That's the prayer, okay? Out of nowhere, seemingly impossible. Now, when I read this passage, or so, okay, read it again to study it, I don't know if the writer had in mind, the writer of the 126th Psalm, the story of Abraham and Sarah, all right, the, the Genesis story, when they were given the promise, right? This is how the whole biblical story starts, right? Past, get the, past the creation story. It starts in Genesis 12 with Abraham and his wife, Sarah, and they get promised that out of you, old man, out of you, old couple, I'm going to make a nation of people, okay? In Genesis 12, that's, what, that's where it all starts. But in Genesis 18, I want to read a few verses from there. They finally, after many years that has transpired, after the first visitation, God sends this delegation of angels, Genesis 18, to Abraham's tent, right? It's to his house. They live in a tent. And these angels show up. Abraham kind of is, you know, surprised. He kind of gets moving. He has his wife make some food. And next thing you know, they're sitting out on a, in, a, in front of a tree in front of his tent. And the angels are there to say, after this long delay, which has been 25 years or almost 25, when Abraham first gets this great vision, Genesis 12, I'm going to make a great nation out of you and those who bless you will be blessed. Those who are cursed will be cursed and all the families of the earth are going to come be blessed through you, right? This old man. Abraham is 75 years old, Genesis 12. Here, Genesis 18, he's 99. Slow down, okay? Think of how long it was. And because of that, it's not so easy always to believe the promises of God. So Abraham gets this message and the angel says, listen, remember what God told you back there 24 years ago? The time is coming. And a year from now, you're gonna have a kid. But listen how hard it was to receive this message. Abraham and Sarah, I'm in the middle of the story, Genesis 18, were very old. And Sarah was past the age of childbearing, you think? Okay, she was at 74, she certainly is at 99. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I am worn out and my Lord, speaking of Abraham, is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, the Lord, okay, the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? 
Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time. Now he gives it a date. Next year. And Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid. So she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. Okay, let me say something. What's the point? The promise of the gospel, and you say, well, what's this got to do with the gospel? Everything. Wonder what the gospel means? Some of you know this. Good news. That's all it means. The Greek word euangelion means good news. The gospel didn't start with Jesus. The gospel was preached in the Old Testament. What changed over the course of time was the content of the gospel. It became, in the days of Jesus, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But the gospel, which is God's amazing good news, has been going on since the beginning. But let me tell you something about the gospel. It is not a conventional piece of wisdom, right? The gospel is not a conventional piece of wisdom. It's a radical claim, just like it is here Back in Genesis 18, a 99-year-old woman and man are going to have a child. Just like it is here that the nation that's been exiled for 70 years and their old church has been burnt to the ground and their, all their houses have been burnt to the ground and someone else is living in them. Just like it was an impossible dream here, it's just as impossible for, for us today, right? The gospel is an impossible claim because it runs into conflict with the way that most people run their lives, Okay, that's the problem. At 99 years old, my sense is, if you, we just read Genesis 18, Sarah and Abraham had become accustomed to barrenness, right? They were already accustomed to barrenness at 74 when they first got the promise, right? They had written off you know, the school fund. They'd written off the junior prom. They'd written off walking their kid down there. That was long gone for them. They had become accustomed to barrenness. They had become resigned to a closed future. Listen, hopelessness relative to having a child had become their normal, okay? Perhaps that's true for many of us today. But the point is, in Genesis 18, the point in 126 Psalm, the point of the gospel today, if we're receiving it and I'm preaching it today, is it's not about you. It's not about the impossibility of your situation. It's not about the impossibility of our situation. It's about God and what God chooses to do as he chose to give this a couple a 90-year-old couple, a child, as he chose to call back the nation after 70 years of exile. It's about what God chooses to do and what God calls you to and what he calls me to. There, this recalling of this memory, okay, when the Lord resort, re, re, restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. It was like a dream. Our mouths were filled with laughter. It's not simply a bunch of people sitting around the, a, a, um, you know, the fire pit telling old stories about high school or, or sitting around telling about you know, war stories, right? That's not the point of this. It's not simply, the, it's not nostalgia. They're bringing up this memory as an inspiration for hope, right? That's the whole point. Listen, the current challenge that we're all facing today, and I mean, you know, the challenge below the challenge. I, don't, I know that we're all in the coronavirus. I don't, know what's, I don't know the challenge below the challenge for you. But the challenge that we're facing, okay, 
It's not unprecedented in history of the world. Okay? You, if you read enough of the newspaper, you'll, people will tell you that. But it's certainly unprecedented in our time, right? I mean, when I sat here 20 weeks ago or whatever it was and said, you know, friends, um, we're not going to have church uh, this week. We're, we're doing this by the internet, but hang in there. I never dreamed 20-some weeks would go by. And not only would people not be coming to church, they wouldn't be sending their kids to school, they wouldn't be getting on airplanes, they wouldn't be seeing their moms and their dads and their aunts and their grandparents for weeks and weeks and weeks. No one ever dreamed that was gonna be the case. But let me say something to you without knowing where this is going. Don't think for a minute that God has moved off of his throne. The same God that that made a nation out of an old couple is the same God that created the church of Jesus Christ. We're reading the book of Acts in 365. If you're reading with us, just a week or so ago we read this, Acts chapter two. In one day, the humble group of men and women called the early church, 120, Acts chapter one, this humble group, right? Humble group of people. God, in one day, down came the, almost streams in the desert. Down came the the, the Holy Spirit of God and in one day there were 3,000 people. And by the time you got to another couple of days and a couple more days, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000, 10,000, almost overnight he started the church, okay? The same God who started the nation of Israel, the same God who started the church out of nothing overnight is the same God who work in your life and in my life today. The question is this, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Question number one in a prayer for renewal. The second question, the heart of this message is, why not now? Okay, that's just what they're saying, right? The, the first three verses are memory. Verse four, present tense. Restore our fortunes, Lord. Do in today, in my life, do in our faith community what you did back then. Why can't you do it now? Like it was with Abraham and Sarah, in Genesis 18, like it was here with this group of people in the 126th Psalm during the exilic period of Jewish history. The same is true for us. The question is not, what can God do, right? God is as powerful and as present as he ever was. The question is not about God, it's about you and it's about me. There are two images here, okay? The writer, again, this is poetry, Awful lot said in a very short period of time. Verse four says, I'm gonna give you the first image. This is the one we should pray for. It's the one I pray for. I want the streams from the Negev. I want that flash flood. I want my problems, including the coronavirus, I want it to be over tomorrow. And it could be. But then there's a second image. Verse five and six. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping carrying seeds to sow, right? There's another, there's the rain from heaven and there's the tears, okay? We are also called in this more heartbreaking kind of renewal, right? Harvest. We are called to be a crucial part in it. Let us not become weary in well-doing, the New Testament says, if we give it time, right? For a proper time, if a pro- in a proper time, we will reap If we do not give up, Galatians chapter six tells us, okay? It moves from the impossibility of the birth of a child to the impossibility of the return to exile to the impossibility of faith itself, okay? 
the impossibility of faith itself. What was given as a question to Abraham and Sarah in Genesis 18 is really given as an invitation by Jesus in Matthew 17. Listen to these words. Well, let me set this up first. Matthew 17, Jesus takes the disciples, right? And he sends them out on this mission. And what the mission is this. Go and do what I've done. I'm gonna give you my authority. And not only can you preach the gospel, but you can heal people. You can cast out demons. Think about this. These guys were fishermen a year before. And Jesus says, listen, go out and do what I did. So they say, great, let's do it. And they went out there. Guess what happened? At least the first time. I mean, no one's ever preached a sermon as far as I know. It was the most humiliating thing you've ever seen. Can you imagine? Be gone! And the guy says, not still here, you know, or whatever. And they finally say, listen, uh, we appreciate you guys, but where's Jesus? It's really, this is just what happens. Now, pick up the story. And they say to Jesus when they finally reach him in Matthew 17, they go, Lord, why couldn't we do this? He replied, because you have so little faith. Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, it's an extreme example, he's making a point, move from here to there and it will will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Now what's he saying? Think about this for a minute before we jump too quickly. He's not saying faith is simple. Hey, faith is nothing. Just speak it out and it happens. No. And he wasn't speaking to a bunch of, you know, um, naysayers on the street, these were his disciples. They believed. They had left their walk of life. They had turned things around. They had publicly identified with Jesus. They were out there doing it, okay? They're like you and me, okay? They were insiders, but but things weren't working for them because the gospel of Jesus Christ is anything too hard for the Lord, it's a radical claim that challenges the way that most people organize their lives, you see. What we wanna do is we wanna live in a closed universe. We wanna live in a universe where barrenness, really, we basically don't think that anything really can change, but then we wanna sort of practice the Christian faith at the same time. See, it doesn't work that way, right? You have to be completely and totally in. You have to transfer your convictions that go counter to really to the way the world is organized around you, the way the world is organized around me. And we need to say, listen, it's not about me. It's not about the circumstance I live in. It's not about the fact that I'm 99 years old and I've already long given up on having children. My goodness, are you kidding me? You think I'm gonna have this kind of pleasure at my age? This is what Sarah says. What a crock. Okay, that's what she's basically saying. But it's all done for you and I to make a point. Is anything too hard for the Lord, right? It's It's a major shift in your heart and a major shift in my heart. This question, this question I want you to leave with today. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I would say this to you. It Every human being, Christian or not, has to answer this question. And how you answer this question will determine the outcome of your life, Okay? Now, two ways to answer it. If you answer it yes, right? This is what Sarah really said, if you think about it. Yes, there are things that are too hard for the Lord. You've determined to live in a closed universe where things are stable, maybe reliable to a point, right? We can control our lives, we're reliable to a point, we can find our way forward, but they're hopeless, really. Hopeless of any kind of real change. And I would say, sadly, many people, most people live their lives there, including men and most Christians. That's why Jesus said that the disciples 
That's why they were shooting blanks. They were powerless because they didn't know what it meant to respond to the gospel either. But if you answer no to this question, right? Is anything too hard for the Lord? And you say, no, I don't think there is. Well, then we accept that our lives and the world around us, whatever's going on, are fully entrusted to God. One writer said this, to yield utterly to God, okay, this is the real question. It's not about checking a box, it's about surrender, okay? That's where power comes. To yield utterly to God is to let the initiative for our lives flow from his hands. I'll say it again. To yield utterly to God is to let the initiative for our lives flow from his hands. Sarah will have a son, okay? Thus saith the Lord. Said this in Romans 4, it's recounting the Abraham story about when Abraham came to God in Genesis 12. Paul's recounting the story. He's saying, being fully persuaded, it's a quote, Romans 4.21, that God had the power to do what he had promised. See, this is the point. It's not whether or not I have the power. It's not whether or not I have the, is, the intelligence. It's not whether or not I have the smarts or the, or the insights. It's not about you and me. Abraham was convinced that God had the power to do what God had promised to do. Is anything too hard for the Lord? If the answer to that question is no, then the question is why not now? And then lastly, where this passage leaves us, where I want to leave you today, is are you willing to go? Okay, what do you mean by that, Rob? This is how this passage ends. See, there's two kinds of renewal. And I'm still praying for the streams from the negative. I hope tomorrow that the, virus, the coronavirus goes away just as an example. That's not our only problem. But I would love for that to happen. There's no reason we shouldn't pray for that. But there's another kind of renewal, okay? And that's the kind of renewal where you and I join God in the renewal of all things. Those who go out weeping, carrying seeds to sow, will return with songs. For Abraham and Sarah, it was 24 long years. Oh, my goodness. And all the people saying, why, who, why'd you even bother? Why'd you tell us that God said to you, who are you kidding? Quit waiting. Just go adopt somebody else's kid, right? Show up to somebody else's party. Why are you bothering? In the nation of Israel that stood in Babylonian captivity for one year, two years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, 60 years, what are you waiting for, okay? Same goes for you and me. But in the meantime, God has something to do. Here's, here's what I think. Let me close with this idea. A lot of people are asking this question. I'm asking this question, too. How long will this go on? Okay? How long? You know, I, I've changed my mind three times since March. You know what I mean? I was convinced that this, the summer was going to come, was going to be heat. What happened in the south was going to happen in the north, and yada, yada, yada. That's what I thought. And I was telling people that, okay? That was my conviction. I've changed my mind a few times. How long will this go on? But I think I'm coming to believe that that's the wrong question, right? That's the beauty of the 126th time. We need to stop asking how long will this go on and start asking, God, what do you want me to do in the meantime, right? What do you want me to do in the meantime? One more verse of scripture, Acts chapter 8. If you're reading with us, 365, if you're not, you can join us today. Go to our website 
uh, resource page and you can join us if you don't have a Bible reading plan. But we're reading, we just read this passage, I think Friday. Listen to these quick words. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. On that day, great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Now, quick context. Some of you know this. The book of Acts, the church starts, I mentioned this a few minutes ago. Out of nowhere, boom, the Holy Spirit comes down. This little ragtag group of disciples and friends becomes the church of Jesus Christ, thousands strong. In, in the people who were the elder board of the early church were called the apostles. And let me tell you something. If you could do an interview with them, a newspaper interview in Acts chapter 7 and say, how's it going? I can't imagine. They'd be, you know... Uh, you know, they'd say, we wish we could build faster. We don't know where to put all these people. And that's just, it's not just slaves and, and you, know, uh, uh, you know, the disenfranchised. There's Pharisees here. There's, there's soldiers here. We're touching everybody. This is a movement. It's unbelievable. Okay? Acts chapter 8, guess what happens? Great persecution happens. And that next Sunday, guess how many people are in church? Twelve Great persecution broke out against the church and all except the apostles were scattered through Judea. If that was the last chapter in the Bible in the New Testament, you and I would sit there and go, this has been a total and complete colossal failure. Typical flash in the pan. We knew that, we knew that, that, that couple was never going to make it. We knew that business was never going to make it. We knew that church was never going to make it. We knew this movement was never going to make it. Right? Typical flash in the pan. Acts chapter 8. Last Sunday, they had X thousands of people. The whole city was turned upside down. This Sunday, it's just the elder board. But if you step back, so you and I know this, and you look at not the eight, for eight chapters of Acts, you look at all 28, here's what you see. Those thousands of people that had to leave for a season the city of Jerusalem, where'd they go? Oh my goodness. They went all over the northern Israel, into Syria, into Turkey, all the way to Rome. And the church of Jesus Christ, which was one building, big, but one, in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 8, became multiple buildings and homes all over the known world. Okay? Right? Now, if I was one of those leaders, I would have said, God, please, we're doing such a great job here. Let's just... How can we hold this together? Because it's going so well. But God said, I have another plan. You know, in, in, in the story of the, um, the, the closing of um, when they cart off the people to Babylon, you know what happened? Many of you know this. They get to Babylon, all the people, the Jewish people, and they're, and they're in this city, which they, they were like arch enemies. It's like what, whatever the worst place is that you would never want to go to and live, just don't say it out loud, but wherever it is, that's where God sends them. I mean, the worst place with people that don't like you, that don't have your customs, that, that are against everything you're against. That's where, that's where he sends them. And then they're, they're sitting around hoping they can get out of there, Jeremiah 29. And they're depressed and they're discouraged. And they're just sort of huddling together. And Jeremiah sends them a message. This is a paraphrase. Jeremiah 29 said, listen. He says, listen, guys, get over yourself. This is what you need to do. This is going to sound counterintuitive, but this is what you need to do. He says, 
Quit being depressed. Quit thinking about the old days. He said, right here in this place that you never wanted to live, he said, build houses. So this is a close paraphrase of Jeremiah 29. Build houses, plant vineyards, marry off your sons and daughters in this place. Seek the peace of this city where you have been brought as an exile. And when you seek the peace of this city, when you make that your new job, ready for it, you yourself will find peace. And once you find peace, then we'll go back home. Okay? That was the message of Jeremiah 29. Maybe that's what God's doing here. So the question is not how long. I don't know how long that's going to be. What are we going to do in the meantime? When I, last week, if you were here listening to me, that is to say, um, we even had an announcement, uh, Josh Eisenhart, Mike Pitts, whoever, I was, it, Flower City Work Camp. Now, some of you know Flower City Work Camp, amazing uh, 35-year ministry where every year um, people get together, students, you know, whether it's 1,000 students and adults get together, east and west, and they go and rehabilitate houses in the city in Jesus' name. It's a beautiful thing. This is the first year in 35 years it was canceled like a lot of other things wow no another thing wipe it off all these kids that wanted to go all the money that was raised all these beautiful homeowners in the city of Rochester thinking they're going to have their kitchen rebuilt or whatever the case may be all of it came to a halt but some great aspiring people you know here and around this church and in other churches whatever said listen let's do Flower City Work Camp Weekend Edition, which is a fancy way of saying, how can we do this under the current um, restrictions? Well, let's do, let's do some of the homes that were not chosen in the original vetting because their projects were too small and we want ones that last a week. And let's use people that wouldn't normally do it because it's usually a teenager thing and adults can do it now. So we repositioned it to Flower City Work Camp Edition. I came to you and said, listen, we'll start modestly. We got 10 homes, we need $10,000, two weekends. We need 10 grand, we need 80 people. You know what you guys did? And then one week, we got 102 people in $24,000. Right? Yeah, okay. Now, what does that say? It says this, that maybe 10 homes can become 20. And maybe it's time for Flower City Work Camp, just one example, to be thinking about new ways to do things to involve new people. Amen? So, is there anything too hard for the Lord? That's what you want to go ask yourself today, okay? It's not an easy question to answer. Think about Sarah, okay? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Why not now? And are you, am I, willing to change the question? Not how long, but what do you want me to do? Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time this morning. Thank you for the opportunity. It's a thrill to be in this uh, room with a handful of friends uh, in, in, uh, in the seats and then many, many more through the internet. And we just love you. And Lord, we thank you that is, even though our lives have, in some manner of speaking, been turned around, um, you haven't, your position hasn't changed. We know that you are the sovereign God of the universe the Lord of all the earth. And Lord, we believe that you are doing something and we want to join you. Adjust, help us to adjust our hearts that we might think like you think, that we might join you, Lord, in uh, the renewal that you're bringing about um, in our, even in our town, in our place, um, in this 
our time. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.